0: Welcome to the MPYA podcast. MPYA is a gathering designed specifically for young adults. In this podcast, you'll hear messages from our gatherings as well as conversations that we hope will help you navigate these defining years of your life. We hope you'll join us as we explore practical ways we can follow Jesus in our everyday lives. As always, be sure to follow us on Instagram at NorthPoint Young Adults and subscribe to the podcast if you like what you hear. But with that in mind, let's jump into this week's episode. about a year ago, not too long ago, I was doing a little shopping over at Avalon. You know, as one does in the city of Alpharetta. It's like the only place you go to shop. I needed something a little bit dressier. You know, I like to keep it cash. I don't have a ton of dressy stuff. And Allie and I had an event we were going to. And so I was like, I got to get something to dress it up a little bit. And so I'm perusing stores, looking for a shirt, looking for something that's going to make me look nicer. And finally, I go to the right store. I stumble upon the thing I'm looking for. I take it off the rack, and I hop in line to make the purchase. And as I'm standing in line, I realize, okay, this is a pretty long line. Like, this is going to take me a minute to get to the front. And so I kind of just start checking my phone. You know, this is what everybody does, just looking at it. And then I'm kind of like peeking over the crowd or the line. And I'm like, what is going on? Like, why is it taking forever. I see that there's only a couple of people working and I see that they're kind of having conversations with the people as they're checking out. And so I'm thinking maybe this is just a new thing. They're just talking to everybody. Maybe some returns are happening. I don't know. But eventually I finally get to the front of the line and I get to the register to check out. I hand her the stuff and she begins the process. And as she's doing it, she starts to ask me questions. She starts to want to strike up a conversation with me. She's like, so how's your day going? And I'm like, good I guess like I feel like this is a new thing happening in businesses now in companies they want to start up communication they want to start conversations like I was at Starbucks the other day and I pulled up to the drive through window and all of a sudden he's like wanting to make conversation with me he's like kind of leaning on the window like asking me about how my day's going about the sky like talking about the weather like nice weather today and I'm like yeah is my coffee ready? Like I'm trying to move on. Like he's asking me about podcasts, music, all of this stuff. And it's like, dude, these are personal. Like, are you listening to my car? Like all this stuff. And I feel like this is just a new thing. I don't know if they're trying, they're all about community or what it is, but I feel like this is a new trend happening. And so I'm in the store, I'm in this line. And by this point, I just want to be out of there. It's taking forever. So, but she's asking me questions. So she she starts with, how's your day going? Then it moves to, uh, where do you work? Are you from around here? Like, what do you do? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I I, I work not far from here, just down at North Point Community Church. And when I say that, I always get different responses. Some people are like, oh, I love North Point Community Church. Like, I love Andy Stanley. I love everything about it. I've I've gone there a few times. It's amazing. Other times, I tell somebody that I work at a church, and they're like, Gosh, I can see them like retracing their thoughts. Like, did I say anything bad? Like, do I need to take anything back? Do I need to say sorry? Do I need to repent right now? Like confess and ask for forgiveness? But she was chill about it. She was cool. And then she went a step further and she was like, oh, what do you do at North Point Community Church? And I was like, oh, it's awesome. I lead this ministry for young adults. Like I get this opportunity to talk to adults in their 20s all the time. And I'm kind of telling telling her about it, describing it. And in that moment, something clicked in my mind where I thought, wait, I think she might be a young adult. Like I think she might be so, like the perfect candidate to come to young adults. And I feel like I should, should I, should I invite her? Like I'm and I'm processing, processing this in the moment thinking this might be a prime opportunity. But then I've got this other thought going on in my mind that's like, no, she, she probably thinks church is super weird. Like she probably doesn't like going to church. She's probably not about it. She probably doesn't want me to ask her. Like, that's going to be weird. That's going to be awkward. I don't want to make us both uncomfortable right now. Like, and I'm a married guy. Is it weird if I'm asking this random girl and inviting her to come to the church and like be a part of this thing that I'm doing? And so, and plus, I'm thinking about the line behind me. I'm like, I don't want to start a whole conversation. These people want to get out of here too. Like, I don't want to hold it up. I'm already getting frustrated by it. And so all of these, I'm playing these mental games. Like I want to invite her, but also I don't know, I don't want to make it awkward. And I'm trying to figure out, is this the right thing to do? And in the meantime, when I'm playing all these mind games and wrestling with this, I end up just kind of wasting our, the time taking my things, saying thanks, and walking out the door. And as I walk back to my car, I can't stop thinking about the fact that I just completely whiffed. Like, I complete, she teed it up for me. Like, I could invite this person into the church. I'm supposed to be a professional at this. Like, I'm supposed to tell people about Jesus, invite them into this. And I just completely squandered the opportunity. Simply because I think it was easier not to. That I didn't want to ask her simply because it was a little bit uncomfortable. And I wrestled with even telling you this story. Because again, I am not supposed to be like, wrestling with that. Like, it should be super easy for me to invite everybody. I'm up here telling you about Jesus all the time. Every other week, I get up here and get to teach on this stuff, and I love inviting people. I don't know what it was in me that day that was resisting telling her or inviting her. Something just got into my head, and I think this happens to all of us. I don't know if you've experienced this. Maybe you've heard a message where it's like, we got to go invite people into the church, or you you see, you read the end of Matthew, and you're like, we got to go and make disciples. This is the last command that Jesus gives us. That's what we are literally called to do. But there's still something in us when we're face-to-face with a person that's kind of resisting asking them. That's kind of resisting inviting a random person into this. I think it's because we're not sure how they're going to feel about it. I think we've started to see these, we've got these perceived notions that people are kind of against church in our culture. That people are starting to be a little bit against Jesus even. That maybe people, we're living in a post-Christian culture where we don't really want to talk about it or make people feel uncomfortable. And so we simply avoid spiritual conversations. We kind of stop inviting people into what we have going on here, this amazing community and these things with Jesus. I think when we're in the church, I think when we are talking with people who are here, we love being associated with it but it's much harder to be associated with the church with Jesus out there, in our workplaces, in, our, in, in the schools, with our friends, at the park, wherever, whatever, at the breweries, whatever we're doing. It's much easier to be associated with Jesus and the church inside these walls than it is out there. And so I think if we're honest with ourselves, there is even a small part of us that can feel a little bit ashamed of our faith. if we really get down to the nitty-gritty, to the uh, the bottom of it, we start to realize there's a little bit of shame in me. That I'm almost a little bit embarrassed to talk about it. That I'm almost like a little scared or nervous to put it out there and let everyone know where I'm at. Because ultimately it's a little bit costly. Like when we begin to talk about Jesus, when we, we begin to talk about the church, it may cost us something. We may not get the invite to the party. We may not get The job. We may not get to hang out with those friends that we love hanging out with anymore. And so, as we pursue this, as we talk about faith and Christianity, we start to wonder if we should. Is it costing us? Is it making us lose stuff? And so, it's just easier not to, it's more comfortable not to. And so, we just don't invite. We just kind of keep it to ourselves. We go about our days. We maybe do our daily devotional. We read our Bibles. We go to church on Sunday. We do the routine. But at the end of the day, we're a little bit nervous to actually talk about it, to put it out there and let everyone know. And I think there's a variety of reasons why this may be the case. I think for me on that day, it's just because I've been told no a lot. (laughs) And maybe you felt this too. I feel like I've put a lot of invitations out there. I tell a lot of people about it. And when they don't show up, it's really easy to get hurt by that. It's really easy to get discouraged by that. And so as we rack up all of the invites, as we keep trying to tell people about it and we keep getting shut down, we keep getting no's, it becomes more and more difficult to invite, to tell people about it. You start to get worried. Like, am I the weird one? (laughs) Like, am I the one that should stop inviting? Or maybe some of you feel like you don't want to invite because you don't feel like you can articulate it. That you don't feel like, you can explain your faith well enough, talk about it well enough in order to have a conversation. That if you invite them and they ask you questions and they wanna know more about the Bible and what you know and what you believe, you don't feel like you can actually talk about it when they start asking questions and poking holes. And so it's just easier not to really invite or talk about it. Or maybe it's because you still hold some doubts yourself. Maybe you just graduated college, you're coming out of this university where professors just kept poking, poking holes in the religion, poking holes in the stories that we read in the Bible. And so you're starting to doubt a little bit. You're starting to wrestle with these things, but you haven't wrestled them to the ground. And and until you are fully in, you fully believe it all, you don't feel like you are ready to invite people in. You don't feel like this is what you are supposed to do just yet. Or maybe one more, you just feel like there can't be one ultimate truth, right? Like there's all these other religions out there And in the name of tolerance, we can't invite people into this. We don't want everybody to come to this. Like, people can kind of do whatever they want. It's their choice, free choice, like whatever. And so we don't invite. We don't tell them about Jesus. We're kind of afraid or ashamed to talk about what we believe. And I think as long as we're walking through life like this, as long as we continue to not really read this, figure it out, invite people in, we're going to continue to not share it. We're not going to invite people into this abundance that Jesus has for us. We're going to continue to overthink it like I did and miss our chance. And I don't want to live that way anymore. I don't think you want to live that way anymore. I don't want to live ashamed of the very thing that I'm basing my life around. Like, I want to be all in on Jesus. I don't want him to be some side thing, something that I just use every once in a while, that I go to when I need something. No, I want him to be the core, the center of my life and I wanna tell everybody about him. And so we need to learn this word, we need to study it, we need to know it and we need to be ready to talk about it. And I think this is exactly what Paul speaks to in this letter to Timothy. So we're gonna look at chapter one tonight and what's so interesting about this letter is that Paul writes it from prison. See, Paul sees what's happening in the world, he's writing it to Timothy and he knows it's difficult. He's, writing, he's literally writing it from prison. Timothy is out there in the world. It, it's Paul's protege, his mentee. He's been mentoring him, kind of coaching him along, helping him uh, live in this world, trying to give him this mission to go out and take this gospel to the people. But he's living in a world that's a little bit hostile to the faith. Obviously, he's got somebody in prison. Jesus was just killed, and now his mentor is locked up. And so it's not easy in this world. It's easy to start to feel a little bit ashamed, to start to feel a little bit embarrassed that people might laugh at you for taking this message out there, for talking about it. In this world, people are trying to shut it down. They want it to end. They don't want Christianity to spread. And so Paul knows this, that Timothy might be starting to feel a little bit timid to share, that he might start to feel a little bit weird about it or awkward about it. He doesn't want to talk about it to just anyone He doesn't want to invite just anyone. Honestly, if he throws out an invitation, he might get arrested because he doesn't know who he's talking to or who or what they do. So he's writing this message to Timothy, and it's actually potentially the last letter that Paul wrote. You can tell by the tone of the letter that this is kind of his last words. Paul's not sure that he's ever going to see Timothy again. And so as we jump into this letter, as we read it, I want you to think about that and keep that in mind that what if you were on your deathbed and you were writing something to somebody else, the last words that you were gonna give them, I'm pretty sure those words are gonna be pretty important. They're gonna be some of the most important things that Timothy needs to know. And what's so cool is he's writing this to this next generation leader. Paul knows that he's not gonna be there much longer. And so he's giving these words to Timothy to carry on, to take the baton, to take the torch and continue marching forward. And so he's dumping out all of these words To Timothy, to guide him for the rest of his life. And again, I believe this isn't just a word for Timothy, but I believe it's a word for us in this room as next generation leaders, as young adults in the church. I think Paul is writing this to Timothy, but it's a word for us. So as we read these, read them like they're written for you. Read them like they're written for a young leader. So I think it's already up there. Let's jump into 2 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 1. If you have your Bibles, open them up. It says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. And so this is kind of the traditional greeting that Paul Gives in his letters. We know it's written by Paul because he tells us it's written by Paul. It's literally a letter to Timothy. We see this when he's writing to Galatia or Ephesus or uh, Colossae. So instead of a church, he's writing this to a specific person. He says it's to Timothy, my beloved child. Now, what we also know about Paul is he didn't have any children, he didn't have any biological children, he wasn't married. And so, what's he saying here with my beloved child? It's this term of endearment. There's this deep relational bond here between Paul and Timothy. He's almost like a father figure, a spiritual father. He acts as a mentor for Timothy. As we'll see soon, his dad, Timothy's dad, isn't actually mentioned in the text, but his mother and grandmother are. So it's almost like Paul is maybe fulfilling this need. He's stepping in and being like a father figure to Timothy. And so Timothy is kind of his protege. And so he's thinking about Timothy and he's writing to Timothy. And I would love if, to have someone at the end of their life send me a letter like this with so much care and intention to tell me what they would like for me to know as their, as their life kind of comes to an end. So he's someone that Timothy can ask questions to, learn from, grow with. And then he continues writing to Timothy, verse 3. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. I love the intention and the care behind these words. Like you can, as you're reading them, you can feel it. You can sense it. That Paul's writing from prison and he's saying, I remember your tears. Timothy, I care so much about you. That I remember when I think about you, I begin to pray and I thank God for you. From the very beginning, he's thanking God for Timothy, and he lets him know that he prays for him night and day. Specifically, he remembers Timothy's tears. It's almost like he's thinking back to the last time he saw Timothy, and maybe the last time that they had to separate and go their separate ways, and maybe even in that moment, they kind of knew, they didn't say it, but they kind of knew this might be the last time that we see each other. So Timothy's, or Paul is thinking about that moment as he writes to Timothy. He remembers his tears, and then he also remembers his faith. He says he remembers his sincere faith, an honest faith. Paul saw this faith in Timothy, passed down from his mother, Lois, and his grandmother, Eunice. And this faith was real. He sensed a call on Timothy's life, and that he had, he was believing, like it, he, he was all in on Jesus. And what's so interesting is it says that Paul laid his hands on him, which this is where we get this process of ordination or commissioning. That Paul noticed something in Timothy and that's what he's kind of reminding him of here. He's saying, remember when I laid my hands on you. Remember when I commissioned you or sent you out to go and do ministry because I saw your faith. I saw how real it was. I saw that you were called to ministry and I want to affirm that in you. And so he laid his hands on Timothy and he sent him out. This is what church leaders do for us today. That if we sense something in you, in a specific person, in a young adult, that they are called to ministry, that this is something they want to pursue. And we watch the way that they live their lives and the way that they read their word and pray. And we sense this call in their lives and we do the same thing. We lay our hands on them and we send them out to do ministry. And I know for me, this happened to me not too long ago, but that's something that I'm going to think about a lot. That there's these reminders that we have in our minds that when, we're, when things get challenging, when things get hard, that we look back to. And remember, oh yeah, that is real. That I had that moment with God, that I had those mom- that moment with people around me who believed in me, who challenged me, who told me, this is the call on your life. And that's powerful. That'll keep you on mission. That'll keep you moving forward, able to persevere through a lot of things. So Paul is trying to put this back into the minds of Timothy. He's like, remember, I remember your faith, and I want to remind you of that moment. And he says, first and foremost, Timothy, remember the faith that is in you from the beginning. Remember how you were transformed. Remember that fire inside of you and that gift God has given you. And then we stumble upon this first command that Paul gives Timothy in this letter. He says, fan it into flame. This this phrase, fan into flame, has the sense of rekindling a fire as it's kind of going out. So we see Paul kind of comparing faith or this call, this gift that God has given him to fire. Paul is saying, Timothy, this faith, this call on your life is like a flame. And we know that fire, if you think about it, is always shrinking or getting bigger. We know that fire doesn't stay the same size for very long. It's usually either getting, going down or it's getting larger. If you neglect it, it's going to kind of go down and grow cold and just get down to embers. But if you blow on it, if you fan it, that fire is going to burn. It's going to grow. It's going to get larger, and you're going to be able to see it from a long distance away. I don't know if you guys were here last week for the Tiki Tango or the thing that we did, but there was a guy grilling out for us. I think he even might be out there today, actually, and he's got these cool grills behind his truck that he pulls behind him that you can kind of heat up to certain temperatures, but it's kind of weird. I've never seen grills like this. And I was just kind of watching him as he did it, and he needed to get it to a certain temperature. And so he would open this little like trap door off to the side, and there'd be like some coals or embers in there. I don't really know. I didn't look too closely. But what I noticed is that every once in a while to get the temperature right, he would pull out this blower, like a full-on leaf blower, open the door, stick it in there, and blow on the coals or the embers. And all of a sudden the fire would begin to shoot up. All of a sudden it's getting a lot warmer and it's going to be able to cook the food. And so it's so interesting that he's telling us to fan our faith or fan this call into flame. Like we need to blow on it. We need to stir it up. We need to set this flame ablaze that almost this faith or this gift, this call in our life is like fire. He's saying, stoke it, stir it up consistently. That's my first point. As we're reading through this first chapter, the first point I want to make is stoke the fire. Paul is telling Timothy, don't let it get too low or else you may begin to fear. You may begin to doubt or be ashamed of what you believe. You might start to question it. But if you build up the spirit, if you build up that fire, it's going to be all-consuming. Like fire takes out stuff in its path. And if, if if that fire is so big, you're not going to be able to fear. You're not going to be able to feel ashamed you're going to suddenly have this power this love and self-control inside of you empowered inside of you as I was kind of reading this passage and preparing I was thinking about maybe you've been around a new christian maybe you've actually seen someone come to christ who's close to you or maybe you've been at a christian camp and you've seen kind of the camp high anybody know what I'm talking about yeah so it's sweaty you're tired and we're offering Jesus and it's like, yes, I'm in. Like, so let's go. And so people are coming to know Christ. And in that moment, they are so on fire for Jesus. They're so on fire for the church, for this community. They're around a bunch of other people who believe like they believe. They're in small group, they're killing it. It's an amazing time. They wanna serve everywhere. They wanna get plugged in. They wanna be at church all the time. It's a fire. But then all of a sudden, they go back home. They get back into their normal routines, back into their normal schedules, only go to church on Sunday if they can make it. They've also got baseball practice and other stuff going on. So they sometimes get there. They don't really implement new things into their lives. So faith, this fire just becomes this thing that's over there. It's a part of us, but it's not all of us. And as we begin to neglect it, that fire starts to dwindle and go down. We start to lose the fire, especially in a cold climate like ours. Our culture is cold towards religion. And so if we don't intentionally pursue it and blow and fan on the fire or stoke the fire, then it's going to dwindle. It's going to go out and we're not going to feel good about our faith. We're going to start to lose the passion. We're going to start to lose wanting to tell people about it. We're going to lose, we're going to start to feel a lot of fear around it. And this is what Paul fears for Timothy. That's why he's writing this letter, and it's why he's going to continue talking about this, because he's concerned about this world that Timothy is living in, that he knows it can suck up the fire, that it's easy to neglect, to not really invite, to kind of feel ashamed of the faith. But he's saying, blow on it, fan it, remember your salvation, make it a priority. The faith you know and love, the one passed down from generation to generation, the world around you is tough. It's cold towards faith. It's trying to put out the fire in you, but you have God's spirit inside of you, which is also a flame. God has lit the flame, but it's now up to you. you have a responsibility to keep it going. Put things in God's hands and watch him work. So again, how do we do this? I think it's by using it. I think we've got to get out there and invite people that as we move around in our lives and we feel like we have this calling on our lives because The Bible tells us to, Christ tells us to go out and make disciples. This call is real. As we begin to do this and as we see people's lives changed in front of us, all of a sudden, our fire gets stoked. All of a sudden, our fire starts to burn a little brighter because we see, oh, this faith thing is real that I know I was starting to let it dwindle for a second there, but now I'm telling people about it. I'm inviting people into it. It's working. Lives are being changed. People are going from life to death. People are being baptized. And all of a sudden, my faith is going up. My fire is getting bigger. It's burning brighter because I'm seeing what God can do here on earth. It's not just something we're making up. It's not fake. It's a real, sincere faith. So we've got to get out there and share. We've got to make it a part of our lives, not just something over there that's a part. It's all of us. We're praying constantly. We're walking around thinking about God, thinking about what is the spirit doing right now? What is the spirit leading me into right now? And we constantly have him on our minds. And all of a sudden we start to see what God is doing in the world and our faith, our fire begins to burn brighter. And what's crazy about that too is people begin to notice That in a cold world, people want fire. People want a strong faith. They want what you have. And so all of a sudden, they start to desire being close to you, being next to you, wanting to be a part of what you are doing. And so that invitation becomes a whole lot easier. We begin to have power, we love more, and we live with self-control. When we're empowered by the Holy Spirit and that fire begins to burn. So point number one is stoke the fire. Now, I want to continue and read verses 8 through 12. It says this Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher. So Paul, again, writing to Timothy, says, literally, do not be ashamed. This thing, this feeling that we can sometimes let control us, he's saying, don't let it happen. Don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, of you talking about what he's done for you. Don't be ashamed of that, how he changed your life. This word for ashamed is actually seen throughout scripture as being counter, directly counter to telling people about Jesus. That when we see do not be ashamed in scripture, it's often in opposition to or saying, don't renounce Christ. Don't be shied away from telling people about him. And so Paul is telling Timothy this because he knows, again, it's tough out there. It's difficult. That culture doesn't like Jesus. They don't like the spread of Christianity. They're trying to stamp it down. Can you imagine trying to share Christ in this world? Like, I know it's difficult for us, for me, to invite a girl to North Point Young Adults. I get it. But Paul is in this whole other world where people are literally being imprisoned, being killed for their faith. Or think about another country today where people are walking around just believing in Christ. Like if they get caught with a Bible, they could get killed for it. That it's so much more difficult in a world like this that Paul is writing into. But he's saying, don't be ashamed of it. Some doubts are going to arise. There's going to be some hard times. Um, It's going to be difficult. But Paul says, don't be ashamed. But like I said, it's a costly decision. I'm sure Timothy's weighing the cost. He's like, is it really worth it? Like, my boy Paul is in prison. Like, is that really where I want to be? Like, if he's my mentor, if that's the guy that I'm following, is that where I'm going to end up? And I think he's sitting there questioning a lot of this stuff. It'd be easier to just believe it and keep it to himself. It'd be so much easier to just walk through life reading the Bible, spending my quiet time in the mornings, and then going about my days and not really telling anybody about it. It'd be so much easier. It'd be so much more comfortable. I don't need to do it. But there's this calling on his life. And I'm sure Timothy's wrestling with this thing that's like, but I can't. That, like, I have this call on my life. And Jesus has told me to do this. And so he's got the Holy Spirit in him and he's wrestling with it. He's like, I have to. It's a call. And it's going to mess with my integrity, my heart, my mind, if I never go out and talk about it. And so Paul, being the encourager and the mentor that he is, he says, Timothy, don't be ashamed of it. He's not shaming Timothy. He's literally talking about how much he loves Timothy, and he just wants to encourage him to go and live out this mission and this call. He's like, I know it's going to be hard. I know it's going to be difficult, but it's going to be, it's going to help you grow. It's going to help you uh, in your life, in your ministry, and continue moving forward with it. So he says, but share in the suffering. And so point number two is share the fire. Share the fire. And I think it's interesting that in this moment, he doesn't say, hey, Timothy, go out and preach the word. He already knows he needs to do that. Instead, he says, no, go out and share in the suffering. He assumes that there's going to be suffering. He assumes that there's going to be rejection. But he, also, but he also, in this moment, through using the word share, is saying, hey, but you're sharing this with us. You're not alone in this, Timothy. Timothy. There's a group of us actually that has decided that this message is too important not to share. That despite the suffering, despite the difficulty, despite the trials and the pain, we're going to continue sharing this message. We'll suffer for it. We'll take a few hits, but it's going to be worth it in the end. And so Paul is trying to get Timothy to focus his mind on the other people who are doing this with him. Because you all know this, it's so easy to just kind of focus on the, the bad parts the negative things, the bad news, the bad press, the things going on that we don't want to talk about, the things that we don't want to see. We focus on the crazy stories, the bad news, the people who are so anti-faith, the rise of the nuns, like all of this stuff that makes us counter to faith, that makes us not want to share or talk about it or invite anyone. And so Paul is saying, hey, look at the people around you who are for it. Look at how it's working this is why you go to a church. This is why you join a body of believers, like young adults, like, like we have here. Because all of a sudden you leave the outside world, you come in here and you see, oh, there's, I'm not alone in this. That actually I've got a lot of people around me believing the same thing, wanting the same things, chasing after Christ, and I can actually do this too. It starts to increase my faith a little bit. I start to not feel so ashamed about it because I'm starting to get around people that believe the same things. And all of a sudden, we start to gain a little bit of confidence as we get around people who believe the same things. So he's telling Timothy, share in this with us. Share in this with me. Don't be afraid of the suffering, because ultimately, you are on mission. This is your call, and it is a worthy cause. And the amazing thing about this, too, is you not only have people around you You not only have people in your life who also believe this, you also have God with you as well. That in this scripture that Paul is saying, God gives you power. That the Holy Spirit actually gives you power. He empowers you inside of you and you have him inside of you with you. That God who saved us, he rescued us, he called us, and he gives us purpose. That it was actually his kindness that brought us into this. So Timothy, We're not just a couple of guys presenting a random message that just talking about something that we think is cool. No, we're chosen by God for a mission. In eternity past, God knew that he would choose us, that we would be in this position, that you were made for this. And so go out there and live out your call, live out your mission. And there is a great reward that comes with sharing in this suffering with Christ for Christ. So Paul is Again, reminding Timothy, trying to put it back in his brain, trying to encourage and compel him to go out. He's saying, share in it with us. Go out and get in the trenches. Invite people, invest, share this good news because it is good news. Despite what people try to tell you, despite what's going on in the world, believe this truth. It is good news and you are not in this alone. You have a community around you that are for you, that are egging you on, that want you to go out there and share This gospel. So we don't have to fear anything. We have life. We have the spirit inside of us. Immortality in him. He abolished death. And so as we go out and we begin to share this gospel, we should start with Jesus. I was actually looking at this Barna report recently, and it turns out that people are actually very open to Jesus. Barna reported that when they asked Americans whether they have a positive or negative opinion of Jesus, seven in ten say they view him positively. So maybe part of this is starting with Jesus. Don't be afraid to go tell people about him. Maybe even a statistic will give us confidence and grow our fire to know that we can go talk about him and we don't need to feel ashamed about it. We can lean into this calling that God has placed on our lives. So God's empowered us, he's called us, and he's with us. We have this holy calling on us. Yes, it's on you, Timothy, but it's also on us as believers in him. So second point, share The fire. Now lastly, we're going to look at this last bit. It's guard the fire. Let's read verses 12 to 14. It says this. Which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells in within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. So Paul's telling Timothy, hey, when times get hard, we've got to follow the pattern. So this is kind of an old word. It's, it was used in ships. And he's saying, hold fast to or grip tightly to. So when a ship was out in a storm and the rains were starting to come and things were starting to get dangerous, things were getting difficult and hard, they would say, hey, hold fast to the ropes. Grip on tightly. Don't let go or you're going to get tossed overboard. Things are going to get difficult, but you have these things to hold on to, to grip tightly to. So it's a difficult day, but grip tightly these words of truth. For Timothy, he's talking about the word, and he's saying, hold on, even when this word is not popular. He's saying, follow the pattern, hold, hold fast, grip onto it. That when this starts to grow unpopular, when things get difficult, when culture turns against it, he's saying, this truth will set you free. That you need to hold fast to this word. Timothy, grab onto this word of truth because it will stabilize you in a chaotic day. Paul's telling Timothy, you have been entrusted with the truth of God's word. We've been entrusted with this. And so you've got to grab it. You've got to hold on to it. You've got to protect it. You've got to take it out with you. See, there was a lot of false teaching, false doctrine, false prophets throughout scripture, especially at this moment in time. People may be altering, trying to change scripture a little bit. And I think we still see this in our day today. It's super easy to just kind of compromise or get around certain scriptures so that we can live however we want. And if we're super honest with ourselves, we could go find a preacher or a teacher or a church that's kind of teaching whatever we want to hear. But he's saying, no, listen to this word. Stick to the apostolic teaching. Listen to what this word says because it's sound. It's healthy. It's what you need to hear for life. So don't listen to the other stuff going on out there. Don't listen to the compromise because ultimately that is to the detriment of the gospel. So we need to know this word and share it because it holds the word of life. We need to hold on to it and guard it with our life. If we believe that, then we should be going out there and telling everybody about it. That if we hold the words of life, then there's, as Christians, we should go and tell people about it. That we ultimately have the lifeline for people. We have the cure. And so we need to take this word. We need to know it. We need to study it. We need to read it. We need to live it out and then we need to go tell people about it. Paul is saying you've got to guard this truth with your life. Don't let go of it. And when things get confusing and gray and people start compromising and telling people that everything is okay, you've got to be, you're going to be the one to step up. That You've got to be the one teaching this word. That you've got to be the one bringing truth to people. So guard it. It's been entrusted to you. You've been chosen for this, And I think as believers, as Christians in the room tonight, you've been entrusted with this. And so we need to know it. It's a gift that we can freely walk around with this, that we can study it, that we can learn it, that we can talk about it, and nothing bad really happens to us. So we've been entrusted with it, and we need to take it out there and help bring people back to safety. If we believe and hold to this truth in our hands, then we should have the utmost confidence. that ultimately, if we hold to this truth, if we believe that this is ultimately true, then we should have the utmost confidence to go and share it with people. We shouldn't feel ashamed of it. So take the time to study it, know it, believe it, share it, and guard it so that you're ready to share this faith in your heart. I think about that scripture from 2 Peter 2, or 1 Peter, where he says, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the hope or the reason for the hope that is in you. You don't have to do it, and and Paul is saying you don't have to do it alone. You've got people around you. God will be with you, and the Holy Spirit is helping you along the way, helping you guard this deposit. So we can go out and tell people with confidence and boldness about this good word. And so as I was kind of thinking about it, as I was praying about it and thinking about y'all, I was just thinking, can you imagine if we as young adults went and did this, if we led the way on this? Can you imagine if we started to speak up against the lies, that we knew this so well, that we memorized scripture, that when we hear lies or half-truths, that we can say, oh no, that's definitely wrong, because I have the truth in my hands, and I'm guarding it, I'm keeping this deposit, and the Holy Spirit is speaking to me, and telling me, no, that is not true, because I have a scripture that can back it up. If we believe this is true, then we should take it out into the world, because the world is so desperate for it. There's so many different things being pushed out there, taken out there, that Everyone's receiving and taking, but we've got this true word that we can give people, and people are desperate for it. And the Holy Spirit is there to help, so guard the fire. Paul closes with this, this chapter with this. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phagellus and Hermogenus. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. So Paul's kind of wrapping up this chapter, and he starts to tell Timothy about something that's going on in Asia, that they've taken the gospel there, but people have started to fall away, that ultimately they've deserted and abandoned Paul, that it seems like there's something, uh, when, when life got difficult, when people started to turn away from Christ, they all kind of bailed on Jesus. When, th- when life got hard, when they started to worry about other, what other people were thinking, when they started to worry about their own lives, they began to kind of abandon this truth, this thing that they once held on to, this, this thing that was once a little fire, maybe burning brightly, it's kind of died out because of how people are responding Yet one person, just one, that Paul talks about is not ashamed of his chains and actually went and looked for Paul. His name is Onesiphorus. So so there's some big names that I'm trying to read right now. Onesiphorus, he wasn't ashamed. When it became difficult to associate with Jesus, he stayed the course. In fact, he actually went and found Paul and came towards him. And so Paul responds and he says, grant mercy to Onesiphorus on that day. May the Lord grant mercy to his household. And as he's talking about his household, it's potentially pointing out to the fact that Onesiphorus might've actually died because of his faith. That he's granting mercy on his household, but Onesiphorus might not actually be there. So the other important part of this is he's saying grant mercy on that day. Talking about that day when history comes to a close, and we see Jesus face to face when history comes to an end. And as he's teaching this word, as he's telling him about Onesiphorus, he's saying, you want to be like Onesiphorus, Timothy. You want to be like us, not like Fagellus or Hermogenus. You want to be like Onesiphorus, who at the end of history is looking at Jesus face to face, and he's saying, well done, good and faithful servant. So Timothy, stand firm in this word, trust it, guard the deposit, preach the good news, tell people the truth, and trust God through it all. I believe this is a word for us today as well, again, for young adults in the church, young church leaders, to go and take this word, to not be ashamed of what you believe, to invite any and everyone because ultimately we know that this community is good for them and that ultimately this is good news. And I think that's the lie that has kind of been told to us that maybe we've started to believe that for some reason we've started to think that this is potentially bad news, that it's kind of hard to tell people about it or invite people into it because we almost feel like we're giving them more rules to follow, like more things to be restricted by, that it's not actually fun. But ultimately we know that this is the best news in the entire world. That death reigned and Jesus came and conquered it. That Jesus came and rescued us, that he sent his son, that God sent his son on a salvation mission. And so I think we've gotten it so backwards that we believe that this might potentially be bad news. No, it's good news. We were dead in our sin, but God came and rescued us. There is no better news on earth. And so maybe what we need to do is just stoke the fire. Maybe we need to share the fire, guard the fire. What would it look like if we started to think about our faith like fire? Like I said, when fires are roaring, they're shining bright, they're burning, they're growing. I think about that story back in Exodus when Moses is stopped in his tracks by the burning bush that all of a sudden he notices this fire and his life gets changed forever. A blazing bush drew Moses in. And I think a blazing church will attract the world. So let's be like fire. Let's make our faith like fire. Let's grow it. Let's burn it. Let's stoke it and guard it and share it. I wanna close with this one poem that I read recently that I felt like was so fitting for tonight. It's by a woman, Amy Wilson Wilson Carmichael. It says this, Oh, for a passionate passion for souls. Oh, for a pity that yearns. Oh, for the love that loves unto death. Oh, for the fire that burns. Oh, for the pure prayer power that prevails, that pours itself out for the lost. Victorious prayer in the conqueror's name. Oh, for a Pentecost. Let us pray for the spirit. Let us pray that our fire grows. Let us pray that we get to see life change. And let's go out there and invite people into it. Let's dive deep into the word of God. Dive deep into community. Fan it into flame and ask the Lord that he would come and be a part of it. Ask the Lord what that looks like for you in the days ahead because I believe he wants that for you. I believe he wants us to not be ashamed. He wants us to invite people into what we have here because it's the greatest news on earth. So I pray you go out and tell people about it. And I would love to pray for us as we close tonight. Thanks for tuning in to the NPYA podcast. To learn more about us, you can follow us on social media at NorthPoint Young Adults or head to our website, northpoint.org slash youngadults. And if you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you hit that subscribe button so you never miss one. See y'all next time.